You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It's Sunshine Week, which is a time when we talk about how we can make government and politics more transparent. In that light, so to speak, Michigan's new Secretary of State has some big proposals. Jocelyn Benson is pursuing major transparency reforms, including an effort to make sure all money in politics is disclosed. Joining us now to talk more about her ideas is Michigan's Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hey, How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Happy Sunshine Week. Yes, happy Sunshine <laughs> Week. Uh, so th- there is a lot of so-called dark money in politics, uh, and that gets through many channels and loopholes. Your idea for this Sunshine Week, or I should say one of your ideas, is to try to make sure that all of that money moves into the light. Talk about why that's important and how that could happen. Right. Well, I think we start from a point by recognizing that Michigan residents and citizens and voters have a right to know who's behind the campaigns of politicians and ballot initiatives. And also, once elected to office, what conflicts of interest our public leaders may have and who is influencing their decisions. Uh, And right now, we are behind almost every other state in the country in our requirements for transparency of different aspects of money's role in the process. And I think we need to start by updating our laws to ensure essentially instant or timely and meaningful disclosure of all money in the political arena that's being spent to influence our votes. Uh, and then also all money that's being spent to influence our elected officials. Just put it in the light. And and how easy would it be to make sure that that happens here in the state of Michigan? It's going to require some legislative changes, uh, but but there um, it, it's actually quite simple. There are just a few things that we need to change in the law to bring us up to speed to the transparency requirements in other states. Uh, for example, we're one of two states that don't require our elected officials to disclose their personal finances, which means they could be voting on something that will benefit them financially, and we would never know about it. So you know, 48 other states and Congress have, that have recognized that potential conflict and require that financial disclosure. We do not, and we should. So that's one of the you know simple legislative fixes uh, that we could implement. Uh, and then secondly, a lot of individuals in an era of term limits are uh, ending their time in the legislature and oftentimes get approached to lobby afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that can sometimes lead to them uh, taking votes as an elected official to help get them and secure them a job in the lobbying corps after. And because of that, we need to institute a mandatory two-year period, cooling-off period, uh, when someone leaves office as a legislator and uh, to when they can work as a lobbyist to remove that potential influence as well. Yeah. Not stop the revolving door, but maybe slow it down a little bit. Or, yeah, I recognize that term limits require people to look for new jobs, but at the same time, we don't want people to say, well, we'll give you a job in February if you take this vote now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had some other major proposals that you're putting yeah, out there. Yeah, so the, the major thing is, you know, we've got so much dark money flowing into our political arena, uh, and we see this particularly coming from 527 committees that are exempt from certain reporting requirements. We need to change that and uh, in, ensure that the 527s and the administrative accounts that previously were created by parties for pay things, things like paper clips and pens without having to report. Uh, now a lot of that money is used for um, ads and uh, to influence our, our votes as voters in our elections, and we need to disclose the sources of that. Uh, and, and one of the, the most important things we need to do in rela- relation to that is change the definition for what is political communication in Michigan. Right now, if an ad 
says vote for or don't vote for someone, then it's political communications and the money behind it must be disclosed. But if an ad does not contain those magic words, then they don't, they're, they're classified as an issue ad and they don't have to disclose who's behind the ad. We need to change that so that our definition of political ads uh, is, is expanded to capture a lot that are influencing our elections uh, and right now are not reported. And so I propose doing what 30 other states and the federal government does, which is to say that if any paid communication or ad refers to a candidate uh, close to an election where that candidate appears on the ballot, they should disclose the money behind that ad. Simple definition. Most other states have it. We should hear as well. Hmm. Um, you know, when we talk about open and transparent government, as you've mentioned a couple times, Michigan just doesn't do all that well when it comes to sort of comparisons with, with, with other states. Uh, what is it in your mind that holds us back from being able to be more competitive in, the, in that way? What, what are the forces that say, let's keep things closed? Well, I think there's a lot of forces on both sides, frankly, of the political arena who benefited from significant influence uh, behind closed doors for decades. Uh, and so there's no real incentive uh, from those in the, in the system, in the arena, to change a system that is benefiting them. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you see um, many decisions being made, like the, the conversations around auto insurance conversations around education reform, oftentimes influenced uh, by one or two major individuals, corporations, unions, interest groups, uh, and that has held our state back. But there's little incentive for those who are influencing the process now to agree to uh, to change the process where they've, they've exerted so much influence successfully and behind closed doors over time. And in my view, what's different now? You're probably thinking, well, what has changed? <laughs> why are, why should we hope, be hopeful that, that there, anything can change? Mm-hmm. What we saw last November was what happens when voters stand up and say, we don't like the system anymore. You saw the passage of an initiative to upend redistricting and gerrymandering and put voters in charge of the process, citizens in charge of the process. And you also saw a massive overview of our election laws to bring us up to speed with other states and ensure our voters have ease of access to secure and efficient elections. So we're in a moment where I believe citizens and voters recognize the system is broken and want it to change. And that's what it's really going to take for us to push our legislators to change as well uh, and and essentially work on behalf of those who elected them uh, and fix a broken system. My guest is Jocelyn Benson. She is the Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan. We're talking about Sunshine Week, the time when we talk about how we can make government and politics more transparent, more open than they are right now. Benson is pursuing some major transparency reforms, including an effort to make sure that all money in politics is disclosed. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. Do you think Michigan trans, Michigan government is transparent enough? Are there things that you would like to see us change to make it seem more open and accessible, especially to voters? Uh, also, if you just have questions for our new Secretary of State, I'm sure she would be happy to field those. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. One zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to phones, uh, Jocelyn, I want to ask about the reactions so far to these proposals. What has the legislature, the Republican-led legislature, said in response to you? 
Well, I presented these proposals last week in my testimony to the Committee on Elections and Ethics, uh, and I, I think I, I was uh, in, in, uh, encouraged by the response of uh, the representatives on that committee. Uh, they listened. They uh, set up meetings to talk further. I think there's an openness, again, a recognition that something needs to change, that, uh, that both sides are complicit in a system that is, uh, that is filled with dark money and, and, uh, and, and puts us behind nearly every other state in the country in our disclosure laws. So I, I believe there's a lot of agreements, frankly, uh, that, that something needs to change, that we need more disclosure. You see this in the talk about the FOIA expansion as well, uh, both in the legislature and by the governor. And uh, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of the details of, of what needs to change. Uh, the, the other aspect is, though, you know, most other states have already gone this route, so I think there's going to be a lot of uh, pressure to uh, that I hope citizens will will echo uh, to simply bring us up to speed with what other states have. Uh, we're not asking to recreate the wheel here. We're just trying to say, look, this is what voters in other states enjoy. We should here as well. So I think there's there's a recognition of that. There's an openness. I've I've had some great uh, individual meetings with legislators on both sides, and we'll see where it goes from here. But I'm optimistic that we can see some change. Again, three one three five seven seven. 1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, call with your questions for Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson or to talk about Sunshine Week and maybe your ideas for ways that government can be more transparent and open in Michigan. Let's start with Steve in Huntington Woods. Steve, welcome to Detroit today. Oh, hi. Hey, uh, this is kind of a long-winded situation, but my... Are you still there? Yeah, we're here. Go okay. ahead. Um, my car my son was out on a saturday night the police were checking license plate numbers and uh, it turns out that my license plate was suspended actually invalidated in june of last year there was an error a typographical error on my vin number when i got the plates originally when i bought the car in november and it was discovered in may which seems odd that it took so long. Uh, my insurance company updated the state record, supposedly, this is what they told me, and I have no reason to doubt what they do. Uh, and But between the time they updated the records and this 15-day notice, uh, my license was invalidated because they only update their records every 30 days. I see. So and there was a so gap. My car, the car was towed. My, I had a big speed to hock the car. Well, sounds like, a, it sounds I like would, a nightmare. It was, a, you know what? It was an absolute yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I'm go, sorry to yeah, hear that. Ahead, I, you know what? Uh, let me just say, uh, and this goes to all your listeners as well, I, uh, I'm working to fix a lot of these issues that I've, I've inherited. And, and so you and, and anyone else listening who has specific challenges, you can just send me an email directly at secretary at michigan.gov. And, uh, and and let me know if you want to share with me the, some of the more specifics of your situation. We we can look into that. But uh, but I appreciate you, you bringing it up because these these little types of um, errors and nuances are things that we're trying to fix. And that's why I'm I'm uh, inviting people to to share with me stories like this so that we can fix them. So please send me an email with more details and we'll look into it. Uh, Jocelyn, you're also uh, on a mission to visit all of the state, Secretary of State <laughs> branch offices in the state. What are you learning from that exercise? I mean, Steve. Steve's call really is a reminder that as much as we've done, and we have done a lot, 
in the last few decades to, to update the way in which we handle licensing and, and, and things like that, uh, th- there are still things that don't work exactly the way they're supposed to. I mean, this gap in, in recording, I guess, is probably what, what got Steve caught up. But, but what are you learning as you go to these branches about things that could be improved? I have found uh, immediately that in, in this regard as well, I have inherited a broken system uh, that has not seen significant renovations in many years. Now, we've just, my predecessor, rightly so, worked to upgrade a lot of our computer systems. We've just implemented that, and things are really bumpy right now as a lot of our, our branch office employees work to uh, embrace that new computer upgrade uh, that was started a few years ago. Uh, that That's on track. And so, we're, it, you know, my, my predecessor also created an appointment option. Uh, which has been limited, and, and that's what we're working to expand to help get us closer to that 30 minutes in and out of branch offices. So there are there, there are some small, small incremental changes that have been put in place, uh, but we need to do a more holistic overview and ask this question of how how should we be administering this process? Why is it that states like Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois consistently get top ratings for how they handle their their bureaus of motor vehicles, uh, and we're always uh, at last? Uh, we have not kept up to speed in, in some of the modernizations that other states have done, and I've hired a team of folks to help us look at that. And it starts by visiting every branch office myself, talking to every single employee that works for the department, meeting with citizens, standing in line alongside them, hearing their issues, hearing their concerns. And we'll be issuing a report after my first 100 days when I finished all the visits. I'm about halfway through <laughs> about 131 offices. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but I've, I mean, the, what I've learned is illuminating. And, uh, and I've, uh, there are some very simple things we could do to move things along. And there's some more comprehensive things that we need to change to ensure that citizens have you know access to discontinued services with the state, so I'm optimistic we can get there. It's going to be a little bumpy between now and then, uh, but but so you know it's one of the reasons why I think we haven't done a comprehensive uh, review and overview and overhaul, frankly, of of how we deliver state services. But we're going to get there, and uh, it's one of the things I'm really excited to take on during my term. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk about. Proposals two and three of 2018, which which really affect uh, parts of our government, different parts of our government, uh, pretty profoundly. And there's a lot of implementation that needs to take place before they really uh, before they really show up in our lives. I guess here in in, in Michigan, I want to give you a chance to talk about the, that implementation uh, and how how that's going so far. Yeah, it's uh, well with proposal three, the Promote the Vote initiative. It contains about eight new reforms and rights for our voters. In particular, automatically registering voters when they do business with our with our state offices, but also enabling people to vote at home if they want for no reason. You just request a ballot, vote at home, and send it back. Uh, and uh, that's probably one of the biggest changes that were at the top of our list for implementation because. We anticipate a lot more people are going to be doing that. So how do we ensure that process is secure, uh, that we implement a ballot tracking method so that when voters are voting from home and returning their ballot, they can track to ensure it was received and counted, uh, and to look at those and many other, or, or just how we're presenting the forms to make it easily accessible so it's easy for someone to request a ballot uh, and, uh, and return it on time. Uh, and so some of the legislative fixes I've talked about is needing to uh, make it so if a ballot is postmarked by Election Day and received within you know, 10 days of an election, it will still count. Uh, different things to make sure that we're ready to handle this influx of, of 
of individuals voting from home, uh, but I created an election modernization committee that brings together secretaries of state and clerks from other states who've implemented these changes and our own clerks here in Michigan so that we can collaborate, learn from those who've come before us and implement best practices in these changes. But but come next year, when people a year from now are voting in our presidential primaries, they're going to see a very different election system. And, uh, and I'm excited to get the word out about all the new rights that voters will enjoy uh, as a part of that. On the second proposal, the redistricting proposal, again, a tremendous opportunity for us to really lead other states in showing what citizens can do when we draw competitive districts. I'm really uh, honored to be a part of implementing this well uh, and with an eye towards being a model for other states of what true independent districting looks like. And I'll be going around the state this year holding town halls and inviting citizens to learn more about how they can play a role in applying to be a part of the commission early next year when the applications are on line. And then once the commission is set to invite citizens to submit their own maps, we're going to have opportunities for citizens to draw maps, submit them as well. This will be a truly citizen-engaged process, and uh, and I'm optimistic and hopeful that the maps that come out of it will be ones that uh, either party may be unhappy with because they'll have lost their influence over them, but the citizens will be proud of. Okay. Uh, we've got another uh, question for you, uh, Secretary Benson. Uh, Diana in Detroit. Diana, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Secretary Benson, first of all, I applaud your, your sunshine efforts in the state here, but I was wondering if you can speak a little bit to the interplay between 501c4 funds um, and super PACs here in Michigan. If there's any real ability to, uh, how should we say, bring some sunshine into to, to how much of the, the dark money flows from C4s to super PACs. Mm. Right, absolutely. And, and I think it starts from uh, that, putting that definition into law uh, of any uh, any entity, including a C4 uh, that is spending money to uh, on political ads, uh, needs to disclose where that money is coming from. And uh, and and uh, we def- if we define political ads in that broader term, where it's any ad that mentions that mentions the candidate close to an election when the candidate is on the ballot, that helps capture more um, realistically the money that's being spent to influence our elections. And then on the other hand, we need to make sure that disclosure is timely, that it's happening uh, close to or before an election, <laughs> so that uh, or close to when the ad is aired that people, when they see the ad, can actually get access to the information uh, as opposed to you know, it being disclosed a year later uh, after an election had passed. So, uh, and so, so, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm eager to take that on, but I think that's an important loophole we need to close. Can, can you quickly, just for the listeners who are, who are not involved as deeply as, as you and the caller are on these, on these issues, can you explain what 501c4 and super PACs are and, and how, they, how they interact? Yeah, well, 501c4s are essentially corporations that are formed uh, to uh, further a particular issue, uh, ideally, uh, and uh, they're they're nonprofit, but but formed uh, to enable lobbying and, and other types of political activity. Uh, and it's important that when money is spent on political activity to influence our voters or influence elected officials, that we disclose that. Uh, PACs, similarly, uh, are uh, particularly super PACs have been formed in recent years to enable uh, large entities to contribute to an overall fund, and then that fund pays for the ad. The super And what often happens is that we don't know who's contributed to that fund, so we don't know who's behind the ad. And that's so important because if the ad is, 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 you know, 
exaggerating at best or making things up worse uh, and lying about a person's record. We need to know what the agenda is behind the ad. And the only way we can know that is by knowing who's paying for it. So this disclosure is critical. Uh, There's lots we need to do in order to, to target the groups that are already spending this money. But the reason why changing that definition is so important is because I can sit here and say we're going to disclose C4s, we're going to disclose 527s, administrative accounts, and then new entities will just pop up under a new classification and they'll start spending money. So until we actually um, capture all the types of political communication and say no matter its source, it needs to be disclosed, that's going to be necessary to ensure we're comprehensively pushing for more sunshine and disclosure in our politics. Okay, Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan. Always great to catch up with you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Up next, we're going to hear from the previous Secretary of State, Ruth Johnson. She's now a state senator who might be voting on some of the measures that Secretary Benson is proposing. We're going to hear what she thinks of those ideas and what she makes of the current era, the new era in Lansing under Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We just heard from current Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about her proposals to make Michigan politics and government more transparent and free of so-called dark money. Now we'd like to welcome the person who held that job before Benson someone who may now be in a position to vote on whether to implement these measures. Say, uh, Ruth Johnson is now a state senator, a Republican who represents Michigan's 14th state Senate district and the former secretary of state here in Michigan. Ruth Johnson, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. So what do you think of these ideas to force disclosure on all forms of dark money, the things that uh, Jocelyn Benson told the legislature last week she'd like to have done? Yes, I um, actually put in an administrative rule in 2013 to make just that happen. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, um, it didn't take long before uh, it actually was um, voted so that it would have to be a law, and the law was no disclosure. Mine was an administrative rule I sent to licensing and regulation to do just that. And so now that uh, it may be in front of the legislature again, uh, that's good news to you then, correct? It's good news, that's for sure. The more sunshine we can get, the better, even on office holders' expense accounts. I've been the only one in Lansing and oh, I don't know, the years that I've been there and in politics that ever has disclosed that money personally, and I have the system all set up in the Secretary of State's office so that people could um, also release the information on who helps them with office holders' expense accounts, which have really no, no checks and balances and um, no way for people to know. Mm. Uh, so, so talk to me about uh, your new role. You're a state senator uh, representing the 14th State Senate District. For eight years, you were secretary of state. Um, what, what made you want to be part of the legislature again? You were in the legislature before on the House side. Now you're on the Senate side. Yes, I enjoy um, being part of making policy to help people. I think I bring a diverse background that helps me make good decisions. I grew up in uh, Waterford, and um, 
my dad was an immigrant. He did not have a high school degree. We didn't uh, live with a lot of money, but a lot of love and, and a little discipline, too. And then when he passed away young and left my mom with three kids, we lived under the poverty level, and us kids got jobs. I understand the value of working hard and uh, balancing a budget and also getting things done. And I enjoy uh, working with people and enjoy working for people. Is there is there a, a, a difference that you've noticed so far in that uh, executive branch role and statewide versus the district role and and legislative that you're in now? Oh, lots of differences. The state is really big, you know, driving from Detroit to uh, up in the Upper Peninsula to the west side is like driving to Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I get to stay closer to home. I enjoy that, too. I I loved traveling around the state, too. But this is about making laws rather than administering them. So it is a big change. I had one. Um, staff, and now I have three staff, so that's a big difference. <laughs> that's a huge difference, right? Uh, so talk about some of the priorities in your district there, uh, close, to the, close to the thumb. Um, my district starts at the, right on the line that divides Flint from um, Grand Blanc, and it kind of looks like a funnel, and it comes all the way down to Waterford and Lake mm-hmm. Angeles. So the northwest side of Oakland County and the southern part of Genesee County. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in between Flint and Pontiac. Yeah, yeah. And what, 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 are the, what are the priorities that you have for that district in the legislature? Yes, and I think one of the good things is whatever you do for your district, hopefully, it also helps everyone in the state. I, I'm working on um, some legislation right now. One is address confidentiality bills for anyone that has been stalked or, or domestic violence or uh, part of the um, um, sex trafficking, a victim of sex trafficking. It's a bipartisan package of bills, and it will um, keep the addresses of victims, um, it will keep them confidential, and it allows the Secretary of State to shield addresses on personal ID and driver's license as well as a qualified voter file. It, for those uh, hundreds of people that need it, it will be really helpful. And then performance audits of state government departments I think is very important. I did it as an Oakland County Clerk and Secretary of State, and it will hopefully make us more efficient and uh, remove duplication and find better ways to get things done. I'm also working on military voting. I um, was chosen to go to the Middle East to visit our troops as part of a bipartisan group of Secretary of States. We had five ideas, and they were never able to get through the legislature. So right now I'm looking at a way to have secure electronic voting for troops using their CAC card, which is very high level of security. And also water well quality I've been working on for 30 years. It's nothing new. Uh, I want to make sure people have maps so they know there are places and um, in Michigan, that more than one out of ten homes are contaminated just with the natural occurring arsenic, and uh, it can be mitigated with correct water filtration system. But I find it immoral that we've known since 1987, and we haven't told people yet. I did do it as a county commissioner, but it has not been statewide, and it really hasn't been. Most people don't know that they should be testing for natural occurring arsenic in the areas that we know have it, as well as, of course, many other things. So the maps would show nitrates, volatile organic compounds, other heavy metals, PFAS, uh, to educate people what to test for. Hmm. I also wonder what you make of the proposals that Governor Gretchen Whitmer 
has laid out in terms of the budget. Uh, she would love to to get the roads fixed. That was something she focused on almost exclusively during her campaign. She now says that the best way to do that is a 45 cent increase in the gas tax. You're part of the Republican caucus in the state Senate. What what do you think about that idea? Well, I can't talk on behalf of others, but that's a $2.5 billion tax increase, and it would make Michigan's gasoline um, tax the highest in the entire country. And um, also the proposed increasing taxes on the small business owners by almost $300,000, and small business creates 62% of the new jobs in our country. So I have some serious concerns about the new taxes uh, and spending, we are the comeback state of the nation. We were dead last for gross domestic product making and selling things during the last recession. And uh, we don't want to go back to that position. When I was county clerk registered deeds, we had only second to the Great Depression people losing their homes. So we can't tax people and job providers out of our state. Also, a lot of the money wouldn't even go to our roads. Uh, it's not all for the roads. It's because... $600 million we're already spending on roads from existing revenues. Uh, it, would, um, spe- it would take it out and, and spend it on other places in the budget. So $600 million of gas tax wouldn't even go to fix our roads, and I'm concerned that it will hit low-income individuals the hardest or people that have to drive a long way to work. So, so if, you, if you don't want to do it that way, but... But, of course, you, like everybody else, you drive the roads here and right. see how awful a shape they're in. What what would you do to fix that? Well, the legislature has been appropriating far more money, and it's phased in because you can only have so many roads as uh, closed at a time. But we've already been investing in our roads and um and education in the environment at record pace since we've come out of the uh, w- the worst recession in my lifetime. So we've added $2.8 billion extra to roads since 2017, and we're already on track to spend an additional $1.2 billion per year on the roads. Um, so... Um, but some of that was, was really for, like, one-time projects. And, and there are these studies that talk about us needing another $2 billion per year to just get the roads back into to passable shape. That's not to yeah. upgrade them. Do you not believe those studies? Well, well, the study MDOT did in 2015 said we needed $1.2 billion extra. Now they say it's $2 billion. Uh, as hard as it is, whether you're a homeowner or in government, we have to live within our means and balance our priorities. So uh, governments, just like families, have to uh, um, be sure they stay within their budgets and you have to balance everything. Can people really afford 45 cents and then $600 million doesn't even go to our roads? So uh, right now um, I'm still listening and still watching what happens. I know we need to put more money into our roads, but I really feel like a 45-cent tax that ends up $600 million not even going to our roads is not a good idea. And, and so what do you make of the state of negotiations, I guess, in, in Lansing? Uh, we, we've had... Eight years where the governor and the legislature were the same party. Now we have a Democrat as governor and still Republican control of the legislature. What have you made of the give and take that seems to be unfolding? 
Well, I think it's a misnomer that the governor got along real well with our legislature just because they belong well, to the same party. That's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. He would um, say something very different about that. <laughs> but uh, I've always worked in the legislature, even when it was all Republican. The only bills I ever had were bipartisan bills. I actually had co-sponsorship on all but one, and that's because I stayed three hours late and nobody was left. But I did get support on it uh, when it was voted on. I believe that... We agree on 85%. We need to move our state forward by uh, fixing that 85% that we do agree on. You don't have to leave your core values behind to be able to work together. So I've always done that. I see so far there's been uh, great efforts on both sides to do that, and I'm encouraged by it. Okay, Ruth Johnson, now state senator who represents Michigan's 14th state Senate district, former Michigan Secretary of State. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. You have a great day. Yeah, we'll catch up with you again soon. Okay, thank you. That's going to do it for me today. As always, remember, if you had to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the show altogether. You can hear this edition and all past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. You just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts and download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen to us when you are ready. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our associate producers are Anna Marie Seisling, Gus Navarro, Chris Williams, and Sydney Spa. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDEPT's Sam Bobian. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.